say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this space and ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us to bind us to our Lord Jesus Christ, that every thought, word, and work of ours may begin with you and through you be happily completed through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Can you all hear me okay? Do I need to use... Does this thing work? Do I need to use this? Oh my gosh. It's super loud. I mean, I can use it while the fan's on because even I sound muffled from up here. Um, but it's a great joy to be with you all this morning. And uh, I was just, as I walked in the room, I was just reflecting on, um, like, I'm, old. I'm getting old. And, uh, and I guess what I mean by that is, like, the, the, the older I get in my priesthood, the more joy I find in, in coming to places like this where um, there's somebody, I did their marriage prep, there's somebody that sat in my high school classroom, there's uh, somebody who was a young couple in my new parish that I pulled into youth ministry, there's people in my new parish, um, there's, and, and it's, like, it's just sort of, sort of like, oh wow, my whole priesthood's like in this room right now. <laughs> and, and there's really a lot of joy in that, and, and it's a true gift that um, <laughs> that our Lord continues to to give. Um, and so, so this morning, when I, I asked Annie, like, "What do you want me to talk about?" and her response was, um, "Talk about whatever you want to talk about." So, um, one of those, one of the things that came up, and, and that kind of almost always comes up, is is like how do we keep our kids catholic and and things like that and, and i'll talk about that a little bit but um i think i think really what i want to do is just kind of share with you um just some of what our lord's been doing in my own spiritual life lately and then maybe give you some things to take with you into adoration and uh and so so I want to start with that first question, though, of, because, because I think that there's something about that question that has the potential of getting in the way in our spiritual lives. Like that question of, like, how do I keep my kids Catholic? Because it, it sort of flows from um, something that's said a lot, and, and it's really common, which is, um, like it's said about marriages, like when we say, like, your job is to get your spouse to heaven. Or it's said about parenthood, like your job is to get your kids to heaven. And... And, and really, like, we have to step back a little bit and, and just say, like, oh, wait, that's Jesus's job. He might just be asking me to, like, help him, but he actually doesn't need me to do it. You know, I, and I find that a lot in my in my priesthood, you know, that and, and when I'm ministering to other priests, sometimes um, that life can become very burdensome when I start to believe that the conversion of my parish is all on me. <laughs> or if I, like in Palmyra, we have like an amazing community and like our Lord just keeps sending new people. And uh, I just got an email from a family last night who's like pondering moving to Palmyra and joining our parish. And, and what I'm thinking about is like, if they join my parish, I have zero room left in my parish hall, um, <laughs> which, is a, which is an amazing thing. But, but I notice that as soon as I start thinking about 
okay, I have to like use my own administrative skills in order to do this thing and work out the business side of things and worry about finances. And as soon as I start going there, my heart just gets all twisted around and weird. <laughs> like as soon as I forget that our Lord is doing something and he invites me to help him, but he can do it on his own. It's sort of like as a mom, you've probably had your children at one point or another help you to make cookies or bake a cake or something like that, right? And they get to like put the flour in or, or whatever they get to do. Um, and they're really helping you. But they don't, but you don't need them to, okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, but, but, but in a sense, right, they could be really helping you, but like, you don't need them to do it. And, and our Lord does that with us all the time. And, and when we stay in that place, we start to be witnesses to things that he's doing. And, and then we can step back and have gratitude and, and notice that. Because otherwise life does become burdensome when things don't go according to plan. And our Lord in Matthew chapter 11 says, come to me all you who labor and are burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm meek and humble of heart. And, and in that verse, like there's, there's a couple of things. One of them is um, like, as I reflect on that, our Lord in a sense is giving us permission to find life burdensome sometimes. You know, our Lord gives us permission to find life burdensome sometimes. And like sometimes we're not so good at giving each other permission to find life burdensome. Um, you know, because like, and I have experienced this and I think many of us have experienced this where like we might like take a risk to express to somebody that we're finding life burdensome right now. And immediately they just try to like solve our problem in two minutes. Well, just do this and life will be good. And uh, I'm like, I already tried that. <laughs> and, and so our Lord gives us permission. And it's also coming out of his own experience. Because if we just back up in that same chapter, he says this, it says this. Then he began to reproach the towns where most of his mighty deeds had been done since they had not repented. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would long ago have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And as for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will go down to the netherworld. For if the mighty deeds done in your midst had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And, and so as our Lord reproaches those towns that haven't repented, what that reveals to us is that, that our Lord went and he tried to invite people into relationship with him and they refused. And, and things didn't go the way that he had hoped they would go. And, and, and when our Lord says those things, they can be heard through a lens of, of kind of like an anger or a disdain, or they can be read through a lens of just like, I am incredibly sad because I've invited you to something amazing and, and, and you don't want it. And, and I'm going to continue to invite you. 
going to continue to invite you. And, and so, so we can step back from that and ask ourselves, okay, what does our Lord do when he's doing his mission, which is to invite people to salvation and they don't respond? What does our Lord do? And what our Lord does in that moment is he returns to his own identity first. Right? He returns to his own identity first. And he goes to the Father and says, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. And, and so the burden that our Lord finds himself in is, is that people don't understand who he is. People don't understand who he is. Or they misinterpret what he's trying to do. Or, or they're not responding to what he's inviting them to. And even his own disciples... You know, and I think it's in Luke's gospel telling the same story. Immediately, James and John say, Lord, should we call down fire and brimstone on these towns that have rejected you? And, he, and his response to that is, no one knows the son except the father. In other words, like not even my disciples fully understand me and who I am. But the father does. And so he goes to the place where he's known. And he goes to the place where he's loved and he goes to the place where everything has been handed over to him. And so his response to the rejection of his fatherhood is to return to his sonship. Right? And to go back to that place of abiding in the father's love. And he learns from the father how to be with everyone else. He learns from the Father how to be with everyone else. Because then he's able to say, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. It takes him maybe out of, I know in my own life, when I feel rejected, I just want to go and isolate and eat a lot of those scones back there. <laughs> and... <clears throat> When I forget to go to the Father, I'm like, why bother trying anymore? That can be a temptation. But when we go back to that place where we're loved, then we learn from the Father how to be with others. Then we have something to give. That we learn in, experience, in the experience of our relationship with the Father. You when know, vocations like fatherhood and motherhood are learned in relationship. You know, they're learned in relationship. And it's kind of another fallacy is that, like, we can learn to be mothers or fathers from a book. It's a fallacy because we always learn that in relationship for good or for bad. And, and it's the way that we experience ourselves as a, as a beloved son or beloved daughter that teaches us how to be that way with others. It teaches us how to be that way with others. You know, and, and motherhood is like an amazing vocation. 
Jeremiah says, before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew you, which means like a mother is always the second to know her child, but always the second to know before anybody else knows, right? Before anybody else knows. My favorite line from Gabriel Marcel is that motherhood is primordial. Which means motherhood started from the moment of conception. He says fatherhood starts from nothingness. Or in other words, like a father waits to become a father, but a mother's a mother from the very beginning. Our own experience is that we were in relationship with our mother from the time that we were aware that we had relationships at all. And it was always something that was there. It was always something that was there. And it's the closest thing to, in our human experiences, the closest thing to that reality that before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. And there's a specific way of imaging God as a mother. And because it is that sort of primordial love and it is that first place where we learn to be beloved. And and in learning to be beloved, we then know how to be the one who loves. Right? We know how to be the one who loves. And, and so when we find life burdensome, the place to go is to go back to that place of being beloved and, and to go back to that place where we have this one person who completely knows us and completely loves us, who always desires our good. John's gospel and John's letters are, are a place of, of learning that. You know, John is the beloved disciple, he, which means he's the model of learning to be loved by the Lord. He's the model for learning to be loved by the Lord. In my experience as a, as a pastor, as a spiritual director for lots of people, the hardest lesson to learn is the lesson to be loved by our Lord. Right? And that our Lord is, our Lord loves you, period. He doesn't love you because you did something good. He doesn't love you insofar as like you do the right things. There's no like formula for obtaining his love. Like he just loves you. The same way that you just loved your children from the time they started growing inside of you. And in John 15, During the Last Supper discourses, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And every one that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. And you are already pruned because of the word I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. And so our Lord uses that word to remain in him over and over and over and over again. And and he's saying that to his disciples right before they're going to go through the hardest time in their life. Right before he's going to go to his passion, right before doubt's going to be cast on everything that they thought was going to happen, he exhorts them to remain in his love, 
because without him we can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. So again, he learns from the way the Father loves him how to love his disciples. And if we're called to be like him, that means we learn from the way he loves us how to love our children, how to love our neighbors, how to love our friends. And then he goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. <clears throat> and, and so he gives us that as a litmus test. To, if we want to ask ourselves, like, do I know that I'm abiding in his love? Like, do I know I'm abiding in his love? And the litmus test for that is like, where am I falling into sin in my life? Where am I falling into a kind of like distortion in my life like where am i taking refuge in something other than the lord and those can be in big ways they can be in small ways you know my own kind of litmus test is um i could oftentimes since it like is about like my diet is a litmus test for like am i remaining in our lord's love or not because i have this problem where like i deal with my emotions by eating sugar it's not uncommon. It's not the worst thing on the planet. <laughs> but it tells me, okay, there's something, there's some place that I'm not surrendered right now. Like, there's some place I'm not surrendered now. Like, either I don't believe that our Lord is really going to take care of me, or I just forgot that our Lord's capable of taking care of me, or I forgot that the Lord is in charge of the church. And um, for now, I'm going to fix the church by eating three pounds of pistachios in a day, you know, because that's because that's going to work. Right. Um, and, and so it's just a litmus test to say, OK, like there's something there and I need to learn to like abide in his love. And so what's abiding in his love like or like where's a point of reference? Where's a point of reference for that? And um, one of the biggest gifts I had this past year was that um, our, Lord, our Lord tends to redeem my procrastination a lot. <laughs> so, so what I mean by that is, like last summer I got overloaded and I didn't go on a diocesan retreat. And so I basically had to do a different retreat. And then my schedule like super filled up through the fall. And so Christmas rolls around and I still haven't gone on retreat. And so... This year, Christmas was on a Sunday, which meant like I had Sunday to Sunday, and I went on retreat between Christmas and New Year's, which I'd never done before. And, um, and so it was just me and Jesus at the retreat house. And, uh, and my custom when I go on ret private retreats is that I, I just expose the Blessed Sacrament every time I make a holy hour. So I was basically doing four hours of adoration every day. And, um, and just trying to give our Lord as much of a lead as possible. And so, so I'm sitting there in adoration, and, um, and I noticed that the nativity scene was also like next to the altar. And then I found in my heart that I kept wanting to look at the nativity scene instead of the monstrance. 
And there's this part of me that was telling me, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be looking at the Eucharist. <laughs> and so, but I just like my gaze kept going over there and it was probably after like the fourth holy hour of resisting that. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like meditate on the nativity scene. And, um, and I had this like realization that like the first place the body of our Lord was adored was in the manger. So in a sense, the manger is the first monstrance. And, and the first adorer was the Blessed Mother. And we see that when we go to look at nativity scenes, like Mary's always kind of kneeling at the manger and looking down at our Lord with this look of love on her face. And, um, and in the past, I would probably look at that and think like, wow, that's like really nice artistic interpretation. And it's kind of a nice decoration for the holidays. But there's something like really real in that. And, and I realized too, or, or another thing that came to me was that our Lord's experience was from the moment of his birth, he was delighted in by his mother and by his father. Or there might be an image of our Lord like waking up from a nap. And as soon as he opens his eyes, his mother's eyes are looking down at him. And there may be never is a time of feeling alone or abandoned or afraid or, or like there's nobody there. I have a recurring, like I used to have this recurring image, which may or may not be a memory, who knows. Um, and it's kind of an image of me lying in a crib, staring up and nobody's coming. And, and then there's this other image of our Lord in the manger and, and every time he looks up, there's somebody who loves him there. And, and so our Lord's first experience in his humanity of remaining in the love of another was with his mother and, and with St. Joseph, who's also looking down at him. And that's a place that also can invite us to sort of place ourselves in that place of What would it be like for us to be lying in the manger and every time we look up, we just see Mary looking down at us? Is it possible for us in our own prayer to come to know her motherhood in that way? Because we learn from her motherhood how to act in our own. And if we have experienced breaches in trust or our trust muscle gets eroded. Sometimes our trust muscle gets eroded. I can trace in my own life, like uh, this person broke my trust and then I really threw myself into my relationship with my high school youth ministers who were amazing, but they had no idea the weight that they carried in my life. Like they were like new parents for me in a, in a real way and it was like such a gift. But then I went to college and then their life went on and they had no idea the weight that they carried for me. And then, and then we just kind of lost touch or they seemed disinterested. I think they left the church after a while. And then I was like, ugh. You know, and there's so many of those experiences that we can have in our life where 
our trust muscle gets eroded. And, and it can only be rehabilitated by the one who is completely trustworthy. And, and the one who desires to give himself to us. And, and the one who's always there. The one who always greets us when we open our eyes. And so, like, another image that, <clears throat> that came in my own prayer on retreat was the image of the, product, or the, of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, and so, in that story, the Good Samaritan, right, there's, there's this person who is attacked by robbers, <clears throat> and he's left there, and, and he seems dead. And, and then there are people who come along who... Most, most of us would think, well, that's somebody who's supposed to help them. Right? Like the priest goes and he walks by, the Levite goes and he walks by, and that's where they're supposed to get help. And then this person comes who's the unexpected helper. Right? The unexpected helper. And the unexpected helper, the Good Samaritan, is willing to enter into the life of that wounded person on the side of the road. And sometimes surrendering to the love of the Lord means surrendering to the unexpected helper in our own lives. And that unexpected helper, it might be a friend, it might be, it might be a random person who shows up in our life. It might be, um, I don't know, like I have... I have a plethora of unexpected helpers. <clears throat> I remember like the first time I went to therapy and uh, I went down and I was getting advice from a religious sister because I knew that her religious order like had people that would go to therapy, you know, like priests. And, uh, and I had a friend who got in trouble. And so I was asking for my friend, legitimately, I was asking for my friend. And I went to Sister Anne-Marie, and I was like, hey, Sister, don't you guys do have this summer program for priests who are maybe struggling a little bit? And she was like, oh, thank God, Father, I wanted to talk to you about this. <laughs> like, what is not for me? What are you talking about? And, and she became a voice, right, that awakened something in me, like, our Lord wants to heal someone. It's an unexpected helper. And that unexpected helper like, is capable of picking us up and carrying us to the manger, which is, becomes a field hospital in a sense. Right, like that place in the manger becomes like a rehabilitation bed where we learn to abide in the love of another. And, and we learn to abide in the love of Mary and the love of St. Joseph. And every time we go to adoration, there's two things going on. Right? There's, there's us being able to reflect on what it might have been like for Mary to look upon our Lord. But it's also a time for us to remember that our Lord is the one who's looking upon us. And we can kind of switch places with him and, and let him be the one who delights in us, him be the one who, in whose love we abide. In whose love we abide. And the, and the more we learn to do that, the more we have the capacity of, of loving others.
and, and I think that's really the ultimate answer and the best answer to that first question of like, how do we keep our kids in the church? And because it really is about like them learning to love in the school of your family life and learning to be loved in the school of your family life. I was talking to Jim Jansen the other day on a podcast and he shared this stat with me that I found fascinating where he said, millennials and baby boomers leave the church at the same rate or stay in the church at the same rate, dependent on if they come from an intact family. So we talk about how millennials have this like mass exodus from the church, but it's congruent with the breakdown in family life. And where families are intact, the, the rates of people leaving the church haven't changed. Which means, oh, if I want to keep my kids Catholic, I need to work on learning to abide in our Lord's love. And, and just like living out that school of love. You know, in whatever way, shape, or form that takes. And, and that means like giving our Lord the space to heal whatever needs to be healed there. But also just like never forgetting, like never forgetting that he is capable of making all things new. And he's capable of redeeming everything. He's capable of redeeming all the places where our trust muscle's been broken. He's capable of redeeming all the places where people have failed us in our lives. He's capable of, of making all things new. And if we find life burdensome, we always can go to him. And he will give us rest. And he will give us rest. So we've got about 15 minutes until adoration. And um, so I think I'm just going to close there and uh, just invite you. Um, if any of those themes resonated to, to take one of those scripture verses, whether that's from <clears throat> Matthew's gospel, right, which is Matthew chapter I think 15. Come to me, all you who labor and find life burdensome. Or John 15. I'm going to close with John 17, which is a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, but also for each and every one of you. And it reveals our Lord's desire for you. He says, Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your Son, so that your Son may glorify you, just as you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to all you gave him. Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me, Father, with you. With the glory I had with you before the world began. And, and that, that line is, is significant because in John's gospel, the world always, always, always is connected with the world of sin. And so when he says, glorify me with the, give me the glory I had with you 
before the world began, he's referring back to what John opens his gospel with. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That, that I want to go back to the way things were before sin entered into the world. And when we make that prayer our own, it also is a prayer that we're saying to our Lord, like restore in me the relationship I had with you before sin entered into my life. Whether it's my personal sin or the sin of another person, just like restore in me the relationship I had with you before sin entered into my life. I revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. They belong to you and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you gave me is from you because the words you gave me, I have given to them and they accepted them and truly understood that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for the ones you have given me because they are yours and everything of mine is yours and everything of yours is mine and I have been glorified in them. So again, that theme of like everything the Lord has done for Jesus, Jesus wants to do for his disciples. Everything God the Father has done for Jesus, he wants to do for his disciples. And now I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are. When I was with them, I protected them in your name that you gave me and I guarded them and none of us None of them was lost except the son of destruction in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. I speak this in the world so that they may share my joy completely. I gave them your word and the world hated them because they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And I consecrate myself for them so that they may also be consecrated in truth. And so everything that the Father has done for Jesus, Jesus wants to do for his disciples. Just as the Father sent him, now he sends his disciples. The relationship the disciples have with Jesus reflects the relationship Jesus has to his Father. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so that one line extends this prayer to each and every person in this room. Each and every one of us are the ones who come to believe through their word. And his desire in his prayer is that we be one as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. That we come to know that relationship and the purpose of that relationship is so that the world might know that the father sent his son into the world 
that the, the way of bringing others to the faith, the way of revealing the truth of the faith is, is by living in and abiding in, in that love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing upon each of these, your beloved daughters, as we prepare to go and spend more intentional, more intimate time with you in your true and real presence in the blessed sacrament. Help us to be mindful of the fact that you are real, that everything that you've said is true, that you're faithful to your promises, that you're faithful to your word. Help our hearts to surrender completely to your love. That in the midst of the burdensomeness we encounter in our lives, our hearts will desire nothing other than to run to you. Teach us to abide in your love. We thank you for the gift of your mother who reveals to us the fullness of motherhood and the gift of St. Joseph who reveals to us the fullness of fatherhood. Help us to learn from them, to live out the vocations that you've called us to. And through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, and all the saints, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.